0: Hello.
1: Hi. How Hi. are you? Hey. Hey. Are you? I'm here. You're
0: here. So are you. I am too. All right. We are both here. We are both recording for the Family Crime Cast. Yes. Hello, indeed. everybody. Welcome to the Family Crime Cast podcast. We are your hosts. I'm Mariah Honaker.
1: And I'm Bob Honaker.
0: So today we're going to be talking about my dad's first murder case, which involves a former police officer, New Jersey State Trooper, Joseph Taylor. Joseph Taylor was going through a recent breakup with a woman, Jackie Alston. Before we get too far into the case and about the incident that took place, first I want to go back to where it all began. So let's go a little bit into that. Let's talk about Jackie Alston and Joseph Taylor. What was their relationship?
1: All right, well they had initially a dating relationship and Eventually, Joseph Taylor moved in with Jackie Alston in Neptune, New Jersey. Uh, They had lived together for over a year, maybe almost close to two years. And then in October of 1983, the relationship started to sour. Jackie Alston indicated to Joseph Taylor that she thought the relationship um, should end. However, they remained together um, up until February 15th of 1984 when Joseph Taylor moved out. He always had hopes of rekindling the relationship and getting back with her. And it was only a three-week period of time between when he moved out and when the homicide occurred.
0: Okay, so let's get into the homicide that occurred. So basically, on the day that it happened I believe Joseph Taylor showed up to Jackie Alston's home and when he arrived he discovered that she was moving on she was hanging out with a man Gardner Anthony Stewart is his name but uh, known to go by Tony she was hanging out with this new guy Tony and it was actually a former friend of Joseph Taylor's so this did not make him happy and he proceeded to start making threatening phone calls. He was just showing up unannounced. I think he called her at one point and said, if you two continue this, you'll both be dead. So pretty threatening messages there. And then he proceeded to show up at her house with a gun. Yes. So let's go into that. What what happens once he arrives at the house?
1: Well, he arrives at the house and the door is locked. So he breaks into the house and he finds uh, Jackie Alston in her bedroom, and he shoots her in the hip. Tony Stewart is in the bathroom. We don't know uh, from the investigation whether or not he was hiding or what he was doing in there, but Taylor enters the bathroom and then shoots him twice in the head and kills him instantly. Mm -hmm. Taylor then leaves the scene and ultimately reports to police that he had shot someone and the police take him into custody. And he provides a statement to police. But he indicated that he doesn't remember the shooting, that he sort of became... That's so
0: convenient.
1: Well, it, it, it ultimately established what his defense would be.
0: So tell us how you became involved in the case.
1: So I had just finished my trial with the Reverend James Wynn, which we talked about in our last episode.
0: Episode one.
1: And Check it out. Check it out. And shortly after that, I can remember one day... Uh, The first assistant, Paul Scheidt, came to my desk and said, are you ready for your first homicide case? And absolutely, you know, I told him, yes, absolutely. Hell yeah. I'm I'm ready. And, you know, that was a big stepping stone because once your superiors and your supervisors identified that you were ready to try a murder case, that kind of elevated you into the higher echelon of trial attorneys within the office. So I was eager to have the opportunity to do that case. I was honored that they had had enough confidence in me to think that I could handle that type of case. And I was honored to get the case.
0: So this wasn't just your first murder case. I mean, that's obviously you know, a big stepping stone, a lot of responsibility, but it was also your first death penalty case, right?
1: That's correct. You know, the death penalty was reinstituted in New Jersey in 1982. So it was fairly new in March of 1984 when this homicide occurred. And this case was screened by the death penalty committee to be a death eligible case. So now it was an added factor. Not only would I be trying to establish the guilt of Joseph Taylor in the case, But if he was to be found guilty of murder, then I would proceed to a second phase of the case, the penalty phase, where a jury would be asked to decide whether or not he should be subject to the death penalty.
0: So what determines whether or not a case is a death penalty case?
1: Well, at the time, you had to establish what was known as aggravating factors. There were many aggravating factors that made a case death eligible, as, as they were called back then. You know, if you murdered a police officer, if you, had, if you hired somebody to murder somebody, the death of a child. But the most uh, common one was a felony murder. That if someone committed a, a murder during the course of a felony, a robbery, or a burglary, then that was an aggravating factor that made a case death eligible.
0: So for this case specifically, Joseph Taylor entered the home. It wasn't his home, so breaking and entering, burglary could all be you know justified for that, and then he committed a murder.
1: That's correct. This was an aggravated factor of felony murder where burglary was the underlying felony and a murder occurred during the course of that felony.
0: So let's talk about the death penalty because it, it is a complicated issue, and You know, everybody has different opinions on it. What did you feel about it at the time?
1: I, I was not opposed to the death penalty. I believed that in the appropriate case, a jury should be allowed to decide whether someone should face the ultimate penalty. And as a matter of fact, I remember Paul Scheid indicating to me and asked me what my views were on the death penalty and if I would have any problem trying this type of case. And I told him, no, I did not have any reservation about trying this type of case. It was ultimately up to the jury. We would present the evidence, and if a jury decided to impose the death penalty, then that was their decision. So uh, I was prepared to do that. Listen, the death penalty is reserved for certain cases. Mm -hmm. You know, usually the most heinous and uh, the most troubling type of cases where Mm -hmm. a murder is committed. I mean, you can think of Timothy McVeigh, mm-hmm. you can think of Ted Bundy, mm-hmm. uh, you can think of cases where juries ultimately came back with a verdict uh, of the death penalty. And so uh, my position was that if a case met the aggravating factors and was truly a case that warranted it, I think there was another factor that also had to come into play, whether or not in spite of the aggravating factors that this case warranted a death penalty. So I told him that and and took uh, charge of the case.
0: Yeah, I feel really conflicted about the death penalty sometimes. There's, you know, I do think it is antiquated, and I do feel like it is a form of cruel and unusual punishment. But as you mentioned Ted Bundy, then I think of him, and I think of, you know, all the awful things that he did to women and— you know, killing them, mutilating them, kidnapping them, torturing them, He even like broke out of prison and went on a rampage and did it again. And when I, I know that he's somebody who would have never stopped.
1: Right, but I think you're right, Mariah. And since one of the the problems with the death penalty as it evolved in New Jersey mm-hmm. was that no one received the death penalty and the appeals dragged on, and ultimately in 2007 the death penalty was abolished. Mm-hmm. Uh, So currently in New Jersey, there is no death penalty. I think maybe 18 states or so have abolished the death penalty. Mm -hmm. Um, But there's always calls when you have uh, a certain case Mm -hmm. to reinstitute the death penalty. Whether or not that happens is up to the legislature. Yeah,
0: and I'm certainly not, you know, batting my eyelashes that Ted Bundy was executed. That sucker can fry in hell for all I care. All right, so let's talk about the trial this trial i guess wasn't really a matter of who had done it like joseph taylor had done it he had even turned himself in and yeah. confessed so what were you trying to prove at the trial well even though
1: he did confess and even though he did turn himself in the state is still obligated to prove each and every element beyond a reasonable doubt so it was not a case of who done it uh, everybody knew whodunit, who done it who did it and he admitted that he did it So the case boiled down to is essentially what degree of homicide was this case.
0: So what did you present at the trial?
1: So I presented uh, probably a dozen witnesses during the course of the trial. Uh, The first uh, witnesses were witnesses who were involved in the crime scene investigation. I presented Sergeant Bobby Adams from Neptune, who took a statement from Joseph Taylor, a seven-page statement, where Taylor had admitted that he did it, but also introduced this defense by saying he couldn't recall shooting Tony Stewart. I also called two of his friends. Both two good friends, police officer and a state trooper. And Joseph Taylor, as you know, was a state trooper, former state trooper. So they testified as to the events surrounding that day because Jackie Austin had, in fact, called one of them, uh, Officer Calderon, uh, to let him know that he had come over and threatened them. So
0: Jackie had called the cops that day earlier.
1: Yes, she had called the police and let them know that he had threatened both her and Tony Stewart. Calderon, who was a friend of all three of them, went and spoke to Joseph Taylor, and Taylor told him that they had not argued, and he didn't threaten her. And ironically, Calderon questioned him about his thirty-eight caliber revolver, and Taylor had told him that he had sold it the day before, which was, in my view, his deception in trying to get out from under the murder charge.
0: Oh, for sure. He lied about selling his gun, he, and then he showed up hours later utilizing that gun to murder somebody? Yeah,
1: he, he not only lied about the fact that he sold the gun, but he lied about confronting her and threatening her. And each one of those deceptions was what I attempted to use at trial to show that he knew exactly what he was doing, mm-hmm. that it was no blood boiling rage or upsetness or emotional trauma. That caused him to do the killing.
0: Did Jackie testify at the trial?
1: Yes, she did. She testified. As a matter of fact, you know, she had been shot also during the altercation with Joseph Taylor. He shot her first, and then he he shot Tony Stewart. And she had spent 22 days in the hospital as a result of the gunshot wound. And she had been rehabilitative uh, treatment f- up until almost the trial. Wow. And I can distinctly remember her walking to the witness stand with a with a limp that was caused by this gunshot room. And she testified, and I thought she did a very great job in regards to the emotional trauma of being shot, mm-hmm. sitting f- across face-to-face with the person who shot her and killed her, Her new boyfriend. was also
0: her ex-boyfriend, who she had a relationship with.
1: Right. She had two children. Joseph Taylor had two children. So that relationship melded the, the, the families as well. So there was a lot of emotional drama with her testimony. But she clearly, from my view, stated a case for a deliberate act, the fact that he had threatened him early in the morning. He had come back later in the afternoon. Are you still here? What's going on? Mm -hmm. And then came back a third time and the door was locked. And breaking in through that door and then blowing past her, shooting her, and then going into the bathroom and shooting and killing Tony Stewart, in my view, was a crime of murder. The defense, on the other hand, painted a completely different picture.
0: So what did the defense present at the trial?
1: so the defense presented what was what is known as a passion provocation uh, manslaughter that because of the breakup that they had because of their long standing relationship he couldn't get over the fact that she was breaking up with him
0: sorry my eyes just got stuck from rolling into the back of my head move on get over it yeah and, and,
1: and you know he he was a, you know a former state trooper he knew how to use guns and
0: yeah, so, I think he knew what was going to happen when he pointed the gun at somebody's head and shot two times. Well,
1: that's exactly what I argued to the jury uh, ultimately, but she testified and she, you know, did an amazing job. And you know, at the end, she was clear that he had threatened her and that he acted in a manner where uh, he knew what he was doing.
0: And did the defense have him testify at the trial?
1: Well, the defense in the case uh, in Mike Papa. Who was a defense attorney, a good friend of mine. I worked with him in the prosecutor's office, still a great friend of mine today, is a very good trial attorney. Um, so he laid out a case where first he presented a couple character witnesses saying that, you know, Joseph Taylor was a you know, a good guy, never liked this, etc. Character witnesses obviously, you know, testify that somebody's a good person. Exactly. You don't bring that's, a, you know, that's what they
0: do. Yeah. You, don't, you don't
1: bring a character witness in if they're going to say that he's a bad person. Yeah, you're not
0: going to bring Jackie Alston in to talk about how good of a guy Joseph Taylor is. No.
1: And so, but then, in this case, Papa knew quite well that in order to give some legitimacy to his defense and to have his defense succeed, that he had to call Joseph Taylor to the stand. Now, Taylor former state trooper, trained in testimony, trained in answering questions, trained in asking questions, came across as a very calm and deliberate person, Uh, well-dressed. I was
0: going to say, I know he's a murderer, but I saw the news clippings and he had great suits on. Yes. I'm just going to say, like every suit he tried on would still be in vogue today. (laughs) The the guy looked good.
1: He did. He looked very well, very well-dressed. Very well spoken, and again, reiterated you know his view of events that he could not recall shooting Tony Stewart, that everything sort of went black, and he was in a state where he was acting outside of his body. I think he used the terms, you know, my blood boiled." And ultimately, what he did is, um, he spoke to the jury about, but for this relationship, but for Tony Stewart being there, but for the fact that he couldn't get over this relationship, this would never have happened. I, on the other hand, in cross-examining him, said, well, you brought a gun, didn't you? Right. Why did you bring a gun? And he said he brought the gun because he wanted to deter a fight. Well, you
0: don't bring a gun to a fight that the other person has no idea is about to happen.
1: Right. And I and Tony Stewart didn't have any idea. And so he you know get made a very good witness on cross-examination. I went after him about the fact that he was a former state trooper. That as you know you sit there and you look at the jury and you answer your questions to the jury. You've been trained to do that. You've been trained to do that as a as a law enforcement officer. The fact that you've been trained in the use of firearms that you know that when you took that gun out that it, and you pulled the trigger bullets would be discharged mm-hmm. and you're trained only to use that weapon when you have the intent to kill and that's exactly what happened in this case of course he said no but i got the the point across at least i thought i did the point across that this was a deliberate act mm-hmm. that just because he was upset with the fact that there was a breakup with Jackie Alston, that that translated not into a, 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 a do-not-recall state. That translated into anger. Mm-hmm. And that anger of the fact that someone had come in and taken his place, that someone now presented an obstacle to his getting back to Jackie Alston,
0: mm-hmm. that's
1: the reason he killed Tony Stewart. And that was my cross-examination of Joseph Taylor.
0: Yeah, like during a breakup, you're allowed to, you know, be angry, be upset, rage, sure, punch a wall, do whatever you got to do, but to show up and then kill somebody and and say that you don't remember doing that after sending threatening messages and showing up unannounced, I just, I don't really buy that. Right,
1: and uh, so that was the last witness in the trial. He was the last witness in the trial.
0: Did he seem remorseful?
1: Um, I would say no.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I would say no. I think he was more cool, calm, and collected than remorseful. you know. I mean, he did admit that he that he did it, but I don't think there was that empathy at trial at least mm-hmm. at the at the time. He indicated, of course, that he wished this had never happened and and all of that. But I think to say that he expressed remorse,
0: I would say no. So what were the summations on both your parts?
1: So, again, Mike Pappa summed up first. And basically he outlined a theme of a tragic uh, commingling of passion, love, and violence. Mm -hmm. And that this would not have occurred but for this relationship going bad and put yourself in that place. You know, if you were the person in Joseph Taylor's shoes and you were in love with this woman and now she was, in your view, she was sleeping with someone else, although that never really happened, that they hadn't gotten that far in their relationship. They are just hanging out. They just started together. But he did outline a very good case to question reasonable doubt. So if you have a reasonable doubt based on his testimony and based on the factors that you know, then you can't convict him of murder, conceding that you should con- convict him of some other type of homicide, either aggravated manslaughter or manslaughter. Now, as a prosecutor, that sort of takes the wind out of your sails mm-hmm. uh, a little bit because the defense is already telling the jury, come back and convict my guy. Mm -hmm. Convict him of some type of homicide, just don't convict him of murder. So my job was to try to advocate as strongly as I could of all the factors that I've outlined during the course of the trial. Former state trooper, use of guns, knows what he's doing, good witness because he's a professional witness. But without question, his actions of deception, his actions of breaking down the door, his actions of shooting Jackie Alston first, and then hunting down Tony mm-hmm. Stewart mm-hmm. was the crime of murder.
0: Damn. So... So
1: why do you say damn?
0: Because <laughs> <laughs> it's just, like, so cold-blooded. And it's also so unfair. It's It just makes me really angry because I know... I've heard the statistic, and I don't know exactly what it is, but women are most at their high risk of dying after they end a relationship. It's like the highest chance that they have to die within within the two years of them ending a relationship is that man coming back and killing her or killing somebody else. And I I just think it's so unfair, and I think that... There's these men out there who have this big, big, big ego. And if it's a little bit bruised, they think that they have the control to change the situation instead of just swallowing their pride and moving on and letting her move on with another guy, which it's not your right. You don't have the right to take away a life because your ego has been bruised.
1: You should never, never resort to violence.
0: Like if you're, if you are have a relationship that has ended, and you have those feelings of rage, you need to go talk to somebody. You need to see a therapist, and you need to go or confide in a friend. You need to talk to somebody and look in the mirror and say, am I about to ruin my life and end somebody else's?
1: And I think that without question, unfortunately, you're right. This This type of violence does occur all too frequently, and taking someone's life because of a failed relationship simply does not measure up in any way, shape, or
0: form. No, and I think women live in fear a lot, and there's probably people who live in relationships to this day and are scared to leave those relationships because they know the outcome if they do end that relationship and leave is is possibly their life being taken. Right.
1: I mean, you, when you think about it, it's the ultimate form of domestic violence mm-hmm. is, you know, in this case... His girlfriend, Jackie Alston, was shot. Her new boyfriend was was killed. All of that resulted because of, in his view, he could not accept the ending of the relationship. So we summed up, and the case was delivered to the jury. And now, again, with a death penalty case, it's a bifurcated proceeding, meaning that the jury must first determine whether or not someone committed a purposeful or knowing murder. And if they do, then they go to a penalty phase. Well, in this case, the jury was out about four and a half hours. So we talked about a quick verdict in the Reverend Wynn case. This is even
0: quicker. This was
1: as quick. Yeah. And again... Um, quick
0: verdicts, like, scare me. Oh, yeah. Like, well, they scare me, too. Yeah.
1: And I wasn't too sure, again, how the jury was going to uh, come back as a, in this case. And they came back, and uh, the first uh, pronouncement was uh, in regards to the charge of murder, and they found him not guilty. of murder so I kind of sunk in my chair a little bit and second count was aggravated manslaughter Mm -hmm. so they found him guilty of aggravated manslaughter Okay, but you know what also bothered me about it is Mm -hmm. they didn't find him guilty of burglary felony murder or even the aggravated assault
0: Hmm.
1: on Jacqueline Allstead
0: excuse me
1: yes and I, I remember she was in the courtroom when the verdict was announced and she sort of like Doubled over and started to cry. Wow. Uh, that the jury did not even convict him of shooting her, which he
0: did, and he admitted to it. It's like
1: he did admit to it, but he kind of admitted to it that uh, his version of it was that he was going to kill himself, and she pulled the gun away, and she got shot pulling the gun away. So he was convicted of aggravated manslaughter, which still subjected him to twenty years in prison. Uh, So this was in October of 1984. So from March when it happened to Mm -hmm. October, it was a fairly quick period of time, from time of incident to time of verdict. Mm -hmm. I don't think you get that today with many criminal cases. So he remained in jail until he was sentenced, and then Judge Cunningham, Donald Cunningham was the judge in the case, Mm -hmm. sentenced him to 20 years New Mm -hmm. Jersey State Prison with 10 years before he would be eligible for parole. So there was some penalty, Mm -hmm. not the penalty I wanted. I mean, listen, in retrospect, I've looked at this case because I've sort of wanted to, you know, learn from each case that you try. Mm -hmm. Uh, And there's a couple things I learned from the case. I learned, number one, that this probably really wasn't a death penalty case, Mm -hmm. that it should have been charged as a murder case without the penalty. I think the jury compromised,
0: yeah, as much as I think what he did was absolutely wrong and he deserved to face justice for it, it doesn't feel like a death penalty case to me,
1: right. And the jurors are smart. you know, they know when prosecutors overcharge. Mm-hmm. And I think pursuing the death penalty case,, you know, because each juror had to be qualified mm-hmm. about their opinions on the death penalty. So they knew what was going on. They knew the facts of the case. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think a a main reason why, at least in my view, that they didn't return a a guilty verdict on the murder charge, because then they would have to go to the penalty phase. And Mm -hmm. I think they saw, too, that this was not a true death penalty case. Uh, So they compromised, aggravated manslaughter, which exposed them to a significant amount of time in jail.
0: And how much time did he ultimately serve?
1: 10 years. You know, he served 10 years before he was ultimately released.
0: I, I do struggle with that 10 years. I just, I think about, you know, Tony Stewart's family. I think about Jackie Alston, the, the trauma that she suffered. I just hope that during that time he was able to reflect and able to change. And, I mean, he's out now, right?
1: Yeah, he's out. Um, you know, I, I think that there was a great uh, empathy on my part also for the Stewart family, mm-hmm. losing son and brother. And I think also that the sentence probably, you know, did not fit the crime, what happened. Mm-hmm. But I had an opportunity to talk to his attorney recently. And after he served his sentence, he was recruited by the Department of Corrections to deal with individuals who were about to re- be released in, to society, re-enter into society, and worked with them so they would have a Easier transition back into society, because it's a difficult proposition to leave jail and come back in. Tough to get a job, tough to move forward with your life, Uh, and you certainly don't want anybody to slide back into crime once they're released from prison. So,
0: yeah, I certainly love to hear that he was able to, after he served his time, come back and help other inmates who are going to be rehabilitated in society and and i think that is a good thing to come out of this. Yeah,
1: i think ultimately in spite of this, you know, very difficult tragedy, that there hopefully was some positive things that came out of it.
0: Absolutely. All right, i think that's a great place to end it. Thanks for tuning in to our episode about Joseph Taylor, my dad's first murder case. You can find us on Instagram, Family Crimecast is our handle. Our Gmail is familycrimecast.gmail.com. Feel free to shoot us a line and just uh, tell us what you think. Ask any questions. We might do a segment on here where we answer some of your questions. So feel free to reach out. And uh, thanks for tuning in. Thanks. Love you, right. I love you too, Dad.